Here's a few exciting scenes from tonight's episode of The Tom Gully Show. Jordan Belfort is the name of the person portrayed by Leonardo DiCaprio in the film The Wolf of Wall Street. Tom Prusalis was involved in multiple schemes with Jordan Belfort. Well, our guest, Christina McDowell, is the daughter of Tom Prusalis, and she wrote an evocative confrontational letter at the movie's release. And if you haven't read it, you are missing out. It went viral. And then she more fully chronicled her story in her book, After Perfect, which you should also read and, of course, buy. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start at the beginning. Here. Well, in, in people, when you have that kind of perceived wealth, mm -hmm. they want to do you favors. And so mm -hmm. a guy that owns a jet, instead of having to pay for a charter or something, he just says, oh, I'll fly you down to the Super Bowl. No problem. <laughs> um, really, Scorsese should have done a movie about you. Because <laughs> and you know when I discovered he had stolen my identity and taken out a hundred thousand dollars in my name and right. you know kind of left me uh, financially paralyzed without any education um, is when things started to is when I started to sort of realize hmm you know maybe it wasn't that wasn't normal and don't believe the facts believe what I'm telling you if I just brazenly keep repeating that 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 you know the, the sky isn't blue. You'll, right. There's a certain amount of people that'll eventually go. You know, it's actually more azure than it is blue. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's totally. that uh, is is that part of of your dad? I mean, there's people I think we've we've known of Bernie Madoff or whatever who maybe mm -hmm. didn't have that much personal magnetism, but were able by virtue of their financial knowledge, you know, or their in, you know knowledge yeah. of the inner workings of how business works, they were able to scam people. Uh, yeah. or, or was it personal magnetism? Was it that that irresistible, you know, power of persuasion, if you will? Now, now you find out that your father has, as you mentioned, taken on all these credit cards in your name, stolen your identity mm -hmm. in order to sort of get himself out of some some uh, difficult times. On the outside, it looks like it is a story about money, but it's not. It's a story about betrayal and loss and the loss of a family, it was like, okay, we lose all of these things, but what's really happening is we're losing who we thought we all were amongst these things, this life that was built on falsehood. They were always required to show sort of the, uh, you know, the retribution for all these mm -hmm. evil ways. And as I understand it, the movie doesn't, doesn't really do that. And I'm sure Jordan Belfort uh, doesn't do that. Oh, um, God. No, Jordan Belfort still owes restitution. I mean, it was just disgusting how how you know that they he, he still hadn't paid fully paid his restitution to those harmed per and, just in time for the alt-right we have alt, <laughs> alt facts awesome <laughs> totally um but god i received thousands of letters from people across the globe um uh, sons who had similar stories and dads and ber victims of Bernie Madoff reached out to me and ex-wives of Wall Street traders who, you know, got screwed in their divorce reached out to me. I had uh, one of the men who was portrayed in the film um, in real life, his son reached out to me. Uh, DiCaprio, I'm not quite as, you know, enamored with because I'm not a, an eight eighth grade girl but <laughs> totally. but but he's also done some pretty awesome films oh um, he's an extraordinary actor right. there's no doubt about it it's uh, neither here nor there and it's also a right. thing like you mentioned that it's hard to get you know a group of people hi we all got the you know swindlers anonymous or you know it's like we <laughs> all got screwed we are all now destitute you know we you're at the most vulnerable point of your life the last thing in your mind is anything but, you know, to keep from drowning. Trust, trusting um, trusting people, those Albanians. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. It's time, America. Mr. and Mrs. North and South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. So sit back, buckle in, place your tray table in its upright locked position, and get ready for big time radio, friends. It's time for...
answers in the jail When the river calls your name And you answer with a grin And you wrestle with the blame When the lumber hits the skin And it's time to pay the toll Let the truth the wagon roll Good evening. It is Tuesday, January 24th, 2017, episode 253. I'm Tom Gully, and tonight on The Tom Gully Show, The Wolf of Wall Street. You probably remember the blockbuster Martin Scorsese-directed film starring Leonardo DiCaprio as Jordan Belfort, the guy who scammed people out of millions of dollars. Well, our guest tonight, Christina McDowell, certainly remembers because as the daughter of one of Jordan Belfort's fellow scammers, she called out Scorsese and DiCaprio in an open letter that went super viral just as the movie was released. In her book, After Perfect, she tells the story of going from a glamour, jet-set life seemingly of unlimited wealth to total poverty, literally overnight, as her father stole her identity and racked up $100,000 in personal debt for her. It's a personal story behind the story of The Wolf of Wall Street with author Christina McDowell, tonight on The Tom Gully Show. What are your dreams for 10 years from now? Perhaps you'd like to travel abroad. In 10 years, comfortable tourist accommodations will certainly be available. This also applies if your travel plans are along the lines of See America First. If you're wondering how you can be sure of having the money at that time, buy savings bonds. Perhaps you haven't been considering travel. Well, if you've been counting on future leisure time or a college education for your children, a farm or business of your own, a retirement income or a home of your own, the solution is still the same. Buy savings bonds. Purchase them the easy, automatic way, where you work through the payroll savings plan, where you bank through the bond-a-month plan. Savings bonds are profitable. For every $3 invested today, you'll receive $4 when your bonds mature. So buy United States savings bonds through the payroll savings plan or bond-a-month plan. And remember, automatic saving is sure saving. You're listening to The Tom Gully Show. You'll find our snack bar chock full of good things to eat and drink. Tasty, tempting hot dogs, thirst-quenching soft drinks... Fresh, crunchy popcorn. You've plenty of time, so visit the snack bar now. Just send an email to tom at thetomgullyshow.com. Jordan Belfort is the name of the person portrayed by Leonardo DiCaprio in the film The Wolf of Wall Street. Tom Prusalis was involved in multiple schemes with Jordan Belfort. Well, our guest, Christina McDowell, is the daughter of Tom Prusalis, and she wrote an evocative, confrontational letter at the movie's release. And if you haven't read it, you are missing out. It went viral. And then she more fully chronicled her story in her book, After Perfect, which you should also read and, of course, buy. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start at the beginning. Uh, yes. your, your father was in business, if you can call it business, with <laughs> Jordan Belfort. Yeah. So when I was about, you know, eight years old, my father was a securities lawyer. Um, so he was one of the securities lawyers for Stratton Oakmont, um, the company that Jordan Belfort started. And um and so, you know, in the late 90s, Jordan Belford and all of his, you know, guys were arrested. Um, and then a few years later after that, in another kind of shady business deal, my father was eventually arrested by the FBI. And at that point, I was 18 years old, uh, living in California. And uh, I was a freshman in college. And, um, and the day my mother called to tell me the, the FBI arrested him, my whole world kind of flipped upside down. Oh, um, yes. Uh, the, the, and we'll get to it in a second, mm -hmm. but maybe the highest fall from, you know, uh, wealth and luxury to not that uh, of, of, <laughs> that a person can have. You describe um, a life of amazing wealth and sort of a jet set life that, you know, if, if you didn't live it, you might have thought it only happened in movies. Uh, what, what, were you guys wealthy before he started working for Jordan Belfort or was it just always that way? 
No. So my, both of my parents actually come from hardworking middle-class families. Um, and my father was the first of his brothers to move away from Richmond, Virginia, where he grew up and accumulate and just build and build and build this, you know, what looked on the outside, you know, this extraordinary kind of wealth and, um, things just kept getting bigger and bigger as I got older. Um, again, though, I'll never really know. And I described this in the opening of the book, you know, how much was actually real cash. It's very easy in America to look like you have a lot of money on the outside with loans and credit cards and, you know, all of these things in the banks. And, you know, it's one of the reasons I think personally the economy crashed. Um, oh, yeah. it was so easy, so easy to look so wealthy. Here. Well, in people, when you have that kind of perceived wealth, Mm-hmm. They want to do you favors. And so mm-hmm. a guy that owns a jet, instead of having to pay for a charter or something, he just says, oh, I'll fly you down to the Super Bowl. No problem. <laughs> um, really, Scorsese should have done a movie about you because <laughs> because seriously, he does these sort of behind the scenes, decadent tales of this is the way things happen. And your life, as you describe it, wasn't just wealth. I mean, we know about people that come from, quote unquote, old money that their life yeah. might be actually a little bit boring compared to yours. I mean, you had yeah. a, a, a true jet set life, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I describe it, you know, it's interesting. I watching everything that's happening in our country right now with Donald Trump, like I, he reminds me so much of my father. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's terrifying, which I described in a, in a recent article that I wrote, um, but yes, my childhood was more than idyllic. It was just fairy tale, magical, grandiose childhood where I'd wake up with a puppy at the foot of my bed on Christmas morning and my father would take me flying in his airplane and we grew up around the corner from the Kennedy's Hickory Hill estate, um, outside of Washington, DC and, um, you know, summers in Nantucket and my sister went to boarding school in Switzerland. It was, you know, it was, um, not the way the majority of people live in the world. And and all know? those trappings, like you even describe how you could you could get any guy you wanted just by we'll we'll take him somewhere <laughs> or we'll do something. I'll 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 just over impress him with my dad. Right. Well, I suppose as a child, in hindsight, you know, I I think that, you know, I'm like, huh, I wonder how it was for other people and if if my relationships were authentic and what what could be used to manipulate another because of how good something looks on the outside versus who we really are as people without, without all of these things. Right. You know, right. Well, maybe, us. maybe you were actually super cool, but you know, all, all the other <laughs> girls had the same things going on that, you know, you were cool. So they, they, they chose you uh, in front of the others. But um, at what point did you begin to realize, hey, this is this is kind of like one of those towns in Hollywood in the old west where it's just storefronts propped up. You know, this this life I'm living is is uh, pretty superficial. House of Cards. Yeah. Well, you know, I. It's a tricky question because that was my normal, right? Right. Like when we grow up, sort of in our own little bubbles, no matter where we come from, you know. Um, it's all I ever really knew. Yeah. People kind of tend to think the way they grow up is the way everybody else is growing up, no matter what, what experience you've had. Exactly. And so when the house of cards came tumbling down, um, and you know, I was forced to go out into the world and survive on my own without having any tools for how to do that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, because of the way I was raised, it was crippling in, in many, many ways. And, and I think the book, in After Perfect, in my memoir, I sort of described this sort of slow unraveling of the truth mm-hmm. because I really, you know, every a lot of little girls, you know, my dad was put up on a pedestal. He was my hero. He was daddy. He was there supposed to protect me and be there for me. And, and you know, when I discovered he had stolen my identity and taken out $100,000 in my name and, right. you know, kind of left me uh, financially paralyzed without any education, Um, is when things started to, is when I started to sort of realize, hmm, you know, maybe it wasn't, that wasn't normal. And maybe, you know, there's something to this and who are we now and who am I? Um, but it was a painful and slow unraveling of the truth because I was in a lot of denial about, 
who he really was and is. Right. Well, um, I mean, I didn't want to believe it. Plenty of people, yeah. even when they know a relative has done something wrong, I mean, they know it for a fact. They mm-hmm. circle the wagons. It's family. It's, hey, I don't mm-hmm. care what they did. I'm going to stick with them because that's my relative. And and you mm-hmm. describe how um, you had doubted the government's case and, and, and mm-hmm. these people were persecuting your dad. And, and then uh, little facts, I guess, started to creep into your rational mind and say, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. Or was it truly just when you found out what he was actually doing to you? Because at that time, it would have been incredibly tangible and there's really no getting around the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, psychological examination, I'd say, for any lack of a better way of explaining it, because it was almost like Stockholm Syndrome, as I describe it. Like, I'm going to believe anything my father says because he's my dad. And... And unfortunately, it wasn't until I had tangible proof when I went to the New York City federal courthouse and I dug through his records and I discovered this is when he'd kind of come back into my life and disappeared again, that he had gone to prison a second time. And it was these words that the judge had said, she said, you know, um, and when everything is said and done, you know, after a lot of work, there is no there, there. Um, I think I just butchered that quote, but really she said the, the, the phrase, there is no there, there. Um, and I could never articulate it. And so that sort of solidified the truth for me in that, oh, wait, it might be possible that my father is a liar or that he lied to me. Um, and despite how much I loved him and wanted to believe him, you know, um, and that's the scary thing. And it's insidious about you know, people who lie and what, and, and, you know, pathological narcissism. So it was in that moment that I thought, okay, maybe it's, this isn't the truth. Um, maybe he isn't who he says he is, you know? Right. Right. So everybody kind of puts their dad up on a pedestal, no matter who you are or what, where you're from, but you also had the additional, Hey, my dad is successful. Hey, my dad is one of the mm-hmm. captains of industry. He's a, a, a rich, successful jet set man to reinforce, hey, the, he's got to be right. He's always right. He wouldn't be mm-hmm. so successful if he wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the scary thing about appearances versus like the reality and the truth of <clears throat> like underneath it all, you know, there's no there there. It's like, it's, um, it's God, I hate to make this political, but it's like, honestly, like it's what I'm seeing happen in our country right now where people are just where I feel like, like Trump's administration is gaslighting us, you know? And it's Uh like, I never really know what the truth is underneath all of that. And on the outside, it, 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 you know, he looks really good. makes it look really good. He's this businessman who's accumulated all this wealth, despite the fact that he's, you know, filed for bankruptcy seven times or whatever it is, six times, you know? And it's like, you want to believe that, well, and it's also that, that because of something the way it looks, it looks good. It's deceiving. You it's know? also that element of don't believe the facts, believe what I'm telling you. If I just brazenly keep repeating that, 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 you know, the, the sky isn't blue, you'll, right. there's a certain amount of people that'll eventually go, you know, it's actually more azure than it is blue. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's totally. that, uh, is, is that part of, of your dad? I mean, there's people I think we've we've known of Bernie Madoff or whatever who maybe didn't have that much personal magnetism, but were able by virtue of their financial knowledge, you know, or their in, you know knowledge yeah. of the inner workings of how business works, they were able to scam people. Uh, or, yeah. or was it personal magnetism? Was it that that irresistible you know power of persuasion, if you will? For my father, you mean? Yes. Yeah, he's, oh yeah. I mean, the, a lot of these guys are very charming, you know, very articulate, brilliant, really. Um, and my father was all of those things. I mean, people loved my dad, you know, my friends loved my dad. Um, funny, fun guy, you know. Um, one of those, and it's very easy. Mm-hmm. Well, one of those people that can make you feel like you're the only person in the world while they're talking to you. Yeah. Passionate, you know, fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Uh, it's, uh, you don't really want to believe it. You don't want to believe it because you think of all those times, but yet 
the way you feel psychologically, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a tricky, elusive kind of thing. It's, it's hard to put your finger on it. It's very psychological, you know, unless you've gone through it, it's, it's hard to describe, right? you know, unless you've been a victim of fraud in some way, because you can't see fraud, you can't really touch it. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's so, yeah. And all you're left with is kind of this empty feeling of being duped or being mm-hmm. taken advantage of completely. Were, were all of his business associates <laughs> sort of uh, <laughs> scam artists? I mean, or did he kind of mingle with, you know, reputable seasoned business people as well? Um, there's a guy I describe in the book. Um, an old, a family friend, Bernie Carl, who has to testify against my, my father, <clears throat> who, you know, and when I did my research, um, or after actually my, when my open letter went viral, the prosecutor of my father's case, um, for the Southern district court of New York reached out to me. He wanted to talk to me. He felt so bad and so guilty and sad, you know, for, for me and my sisters. And he's like, you know, I just want to let you know, I was just doing my job and I'm so sorry for all that you went through which was amazing. And I said, you know, hey, can you tell me a little bit about these guys that my father was working with? And do you have anything on this guy and this guy? And he's like, you know, that specifically the father, the, the man who's a very dear family friend um, is a legitimate, you know, he couldn't find anything on him. He's a very wealthy investment banker. And, you know, but the other guys, of course, involved in Stratton, Oakmont and Busy Box. And um, they were, yeah, I, I you know, I, I think a lot of these guys um, you know, they're, they think they're above the law. They, there's a lot of kind of areas of gray in finance and, and, um, especially at the time. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. there's still, nobody's been held to, to account for all mm-hmm. of the, you know, financial fast dealings there were that resulted in the, the financial collapse. I haven't seen the movie and that's because of your letter and mm-hmm. also because of, like at the same day that I read your letter, there was a news story about how that film had been screened for a bunch of uh, Wall Street traders. Mm. And at the end of it, they all got up and stand, stood up and just cheered like, mm-hmm. like the, they, the team had won the Super Bowl in the last mm-hmm. second. And I thought, don't you have any shame at all? I mean, why are you yeah. cheering this behavior um, I guess it's the power of, of uh, movie making, but mm-hmm. but I think that's that's part of it too. Was that the time uh, the stock market was going crazy and people just they weren't paying attention. They, they absolutely mm-hmm. weren't. Um, now now you find out that your father has, as you mentioned, taken out all these credit cards in your name, stolen your identity mm-hmm. in order to sort of get himself out of some some uh, difficult times, and you know. The, the the brevity of the fall that you had, you know, some people, they, you know, the, the bank realizes it and they still have assets and then they can mm-hmm. sell this, they can sell that. You went from like, mm. you know, they talk about a car going from zero to 60. You <laughs> went from 60 to zero in a phone call, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was uh, the government you know, took everything and, um, you know, and I was, I mean, completely blindsided as an, and as an, as an 18 year old, I didn't really understand the way anything worked. You know, I was like, what does it mean to, for your home to go into foreclosure? What do you mean the bank owns the home? Cause we couldn't pay the mortgage. I thought we owned it. You know, it was like all these things that, about the way money works and the world works. I didn't have, I had no understanding. I was like, how can someone take something from you that you apparently own, but apparently you don't own it (laughs) unless you pay cash, you know, or, you know, it's paid off. And, um, so I, I learned in a very extreme, harsh way, you know, how the world works. And, um, and yeah, I was left to sort of take care of myself while simultaneously, you know, being sued or threatened, um, by, the credit card agencies and you know American Express trying to sue me and I was like what is what's going on why are these people calling me and threatening to sue me and then there you know after that I discovered my father had taken he had started taking out credit cards in my name when I was about 14 years old um, and just not you know paying them off and um, you know and I didn't sue my father he was already in prison and and a couple of people had said well do you want to sue him and I just thought god no he's my dad he's innocent you uh-huh. know like he didn't do this to hurt me and well you know 
and then the truth began to unravel from there. Right. Now, so. now that that drop, and you'd mentioned it earlier, not having the tools, what was it like to lead this uh, somewhat carefree life where you were completely 100% sure that you, all of your you know, needs would be taken care of forever to you have nothing, you know, the house is gone, all the assets are gone, nothing. Uh, what, what was that like to sort of, you know, have happen and then actually have to deal with? I mean, obviously you couldn't take out a credit card or something yeah. to help you along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, oh, it's a complex thing. Cause I, I you know, I, I, I want to make it very clear to readers and your audience also that, that that this isn't on the outside. It looks like it is a story about money, but it's not. It's a story about betrayal and loss and the loss of a family. It was like, okay, we lose all of these things, but what's really happening is we're losing who we thought we all were amongst these things, this life that was built on falsehoods. Mm -hmm. And so, so the, I suffered from extreme post-traumatic stress um, and would wake up with night terrors because of this such drastic lifestyle of going from extreme wealth to such extreme poverty, you know, and sleeping on friends' couches and living in a neighborhood where there I could hear gunshots, you know, on a nightly basis. And that wasn't, that wasn't, um, that wasn't a, you know, weird, you know, it was a normal thing. Right. So, um, and really the loss of a father and having a father go to prison, I think, is a is a conversation that that isn't really talked about enough in my opinion and and what prison does to a family and the and the trauma of seeing that and witnessing that and going you know going to visit my father inside of a prison well, and you, having that experience you drove yeah. him to prison correct well i drove him to the airport when he had to surrender to prison cuz he was in prison in nevada first oh, okay yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and just not knowing, you know, where your next meal's coming from, where am I going to stay? Not, mm, not mm -hmm. knowing what the very next day, mm -hmm. you know, was going to be another struggle in survival coming from that other background, that gear shift and how fast you have to make it, I think is kind of unfathomable to most, most people. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also I think to even add another element another layer to that is, you know, I'm a family of three girls and the way in which we, we raise our women today, you know, is to, I always thought like as a girl, it was like, okay, I'd be taken care of by daddy always, or, you know, someday I'd get married and, you know, be taken care of by a man. Like I saw my mom go through and it's, you know, to have that so embedded in, in myself as a woman, it, it, it made it even more complicated and harder for me to kind of break away from that old idea to be able to, to, to be empowered and learn how to take care of myself and to keep taking care of myself and to understand that no one has the power to save you, really. You know, even if someone were to hand me, you know, a million dollars today, they couldn't save the, you know, how I feel um, about what I went through with my dad. It's up to me to heal those wounds, you know. So there were many, many lessons well, in um, the the movie itself, is it safe to say that you still have not seen the movie? No, I did uh, <laughs> see a screener. I huh. ended up seeing a, my a friend who 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 uh, had a screener of it, um, who who showed it to me. Yeah, and wh um, what was that experience like? Um, you know, disappointing and and. Uh, Everything I, I talk about in my letter is true. I mean, the culture is sick, the, the Wall Street culture, the way they they uh, talk about and treat women. You know, my friend Sam Polk wrote an article around the same time as me. He's an, a former Wall Street trader. It was an article in the New York Times called For the Love of Money that also went viral. And uh, we're good, good friends today. And we got to, to talk about that. And um and it's it's a shame, you know. It's a shame that Scorsese had a story that could have, you know, he could have talked about the victims. He could have shown sort of the other side of it, but instead he he chose to um, to focus on this the 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 lifestyle and the wealth and kind of glorify that, in my opinion. 
um, when he had a real opportunity to make a statement about, um, you know, what really happened to the people in our country who are still hurting as a result of what happened, you know, in 2008 and 2009. And in my opinion, he took the easy way out and the, the Hollywood way and, um, and it, it hurt, I think, a lot of people, you know. Um, and unfortunately, like, you know, he just uh, didn't take the high road, in my opinion, about and especially I think if it was a fictional story, OK, fine, you know, but this was a real story that had real victims. And if you neglect them, it's like it's just it's it's uh, it's not OK. It's it's not um, a cautionary tale. And in old Hollywood, when they had the Hayes Code and stuff, yeah, they made the original Scarface, but they were. They were always required to show sort of the, uh, you know, the retribution for all these mm-hmm. evil ways. And as I understand it, the movie doesn't doesn't really do that. And I'm sure Jordan Belfort uh, doesn't do that. Oh, um, God. No, Jordan Belfort still owes restitution. I mean, it was just disgusting how, <laughs> how you know, that they he, he still hadn't paid, fully paid his restitution to those harmed. Um, and so to make a film about about it uh is just it's it's insulting to all those people who got hurt well I, I haven't seen the film i have of course done the next best thing which is to read the plot on wikipedia and because <laughs> uh, that doesn't benefit the filmmaker but the um yeah there's a scene i guess where and I th- i'm pretty sure it's the uh, jonah hill character he goes mm-hmm. to a meeting with him and he's wired and he manages to warn him that he's wired as if, hey, I've got honor. I- I'm not going to, you know, screw over one of my friends because I'm an honorable guy, you know, and I would never do that. And that struck me as just like, well, that that's that's kind of going beyond the pale, uh, both in reality and in a film, to make the scumbag look like, you know, he- he's actually got ethics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um god, I don't really remember that scene. They're in a restaurant or something and he and he ends up getting in trouble for it or something, but um, Right. Oh, cuz he finds out Jordan Belfort's character is that it? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. God, I yeah, I mean it's like it's it's at the end of the day, you know, it's all everyone's wants to save their own ass. You know, nobody <laughs> wants to to lose. I think it's it'll it's easy to turn on people. Um, when money is involved and when you think it's, it's, you know, your reputation, um, it's like, you know, the man, again, I describe it in my book, my father's best friend, you know, started this civil suit underneath the federal case that came against my father. It was started by one of my dad's best friends, you know, and he didn't want to testify against my father, but that's what happened. And then another uh, best friend of mine from childhood, her father had to testify against my father. I mean, families were just complete, were completely ripped apart by money, you right. know, and, right. uh, and greed. Well, Jordan, um, Jordan Belfort was actually selected to testify against your father. And correct me if I'm wrong, he couldn't because uh, your father's attorneys basically started pointing out, well, this guy is the least credible person on earth uh, yeah. to testify. It was it was kind of an easy thing. They thought they were going to bring him in, and then it's like, well, let's just take a look at this guy. I mean, who's going to trust him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. It, 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 he was flown out from California to testify against my dad, and then I think what happened really was that my father's attorneys were so scared because they just thought, okay, this is, in, this is from another case from – the nineties and it's just, it's not going to look good. You know, um, it's when things I think for my father started to become, you know, um, shady and, uh, and he was proof, you know? Um, and they wanted to do anything, they, everything that they could to, to not have him testify and open that can of worms. And so my father, instead of having the embarrassment of that entered into a plea agreement with the government um, and struck a deal, you know, instead of losing the case and having the book thrown at him and going to prison for, you know, 10 to 12 years, he took a deal for five years. I gotcha. Um, And that's often what happens. Yeah. Right. Once they realize their goose is cooked, it's a lot easier to uh, just just, negotiate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now you describe your, your, 
path moving forward. And you mentioned earlier, you know, personal responsibility and whatnot. Can you talk about some of the things you went through, you know, good and bad that helped you rebuild your life? Mm, Good and bad. (laughs) Well, I would say getting sober. Um, I was, you know, I describe in my memoir, I was very self-destructive in my grief. I didn't know how to process the loss and all that I was going through and seeing my mother kind of move on and, you know, again, losing family in a way as, as I knew us to be. And, uh, my parents divorced. I took that really hard. And, and so I think getting sober, um, and really, uh, participate actually I I just this is sort of the end of the book but I threw myself I really wanted to be of service you know and I really wanted to work with children and who who also had experience with um having parents in prison and I ended up working closely with the office of restorative justice in Los Angeles and I traveled to prisons with this woman um as a victim of crime and shared my got to share my story and it was extraordinarily healing. I got to talk to fa- all these fathers uh, who were incarcerated, who had daughters. And I got to share them with them my pain and my anger and then have a dialogue with them. And the, many of them stood up and said, you know, I'd like to apologize on behalf of your father. And I have a daughter, too, who won't speak to me and all these things. And it was this really beautiful um, <clears throat> dialogue between a victim and a defender and a father, fathers and, and a daughter. And it healed me in so many ways. Um, again, it's called restorative justice and, and it's a, it's a very powerful <clears throat> way of, of healing both a victim and an offender of a crime. Excellent. Um, well, yeah. Now this, uh, open letter that you wrote was just mm-hmm. a, a really awesome piece of writing. And, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if there were any, you know, what were the repercussions of writing that letter? I mean, I don't know that you knew it was going to become so viral. It was very, uh, it was, it was very personal. I I loved how you were addressing the people that made the movie. And I'm, I'm sure Mm -hmm. there was no response from any of those people, but what, Mm -hmm. what happened after you wrote this letter? Well, well, Jordan Belford did call me a liar. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. He, he posted something on his Facebook page, apparently, calling me a liar. And uh, despite all the evidence I have from the courthouse, you know, I mean, it's just insanity. And then... Um, alternate facts, I guess. Uh, right. Alternative facts. Yeah. Exactly. Those are... Yeah. Um, per, and, just in time for the alt-right, we have alt-facts. <laughs> alt awesome. <laughs> totally. Um, but God, I received thousands of letters from people across the globe um uh sons who had similar stories and dads and victims of bernie madoff reached out to me and ex-wives of wall street traders who you know got screwed in their divorce reached out to me i had uh one of the men who was portrayed in the film um in real life his son reached out to me um you know, and it was, it was remarkable. It was insane. I mean, um, it was, I could have never predicted, you know, that that would have happened, but it felt really comforting and, and, uh, beautiful to know that so many people, um, related to my story. Uh Um, and more so than I think we know on whatever scale, it was and not even just about losing the loss of money it was like oh my god i have a dad like yours or i feel pain because of this and i'm a victim of this scam and Sign, it was amazing signed ivanka yeah, um, exactly but uh exactly. the uh the one of the responses you got was actually from your own father oh, if, if right. i'm not mistaken yeah. and and uh what struck what struck me was that he he chastised you for disparaging Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Martin Scorsese. It's like, <laughs> dude, with all due respect, you're not really holding the moral high ground here. How? how why would you even respond to this letter? Um, how did how did that affect oh, you? Yeah, and I thought, oh oh, and I read it and I said, oh yeah, 
that's him talking about himself in the third person, you know, this, the grandiosity of his father and our, the Greek tragedy of our family, you know, the way he speaks is so, <laughs> I mean, Jesus. And, melodramatic. Yeah. Melodramatic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, you know, asking me to apologize to Scorsese and DiCaprio and, oh my God, it was, uh, it how, was painful. How to dare read that. you insult these fine men? What's right. oh, it, that, yeah, okay. Well, he's obs- it's an obsession with um, with with status, mm-hmm. you know, with social status, and and God forbid, you know, I have an opinion against you know one of the most successful film directors in Hollywood. Like, I give a shit. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. <laughs> well, and it's difficult because. I don't think anybody can deny that these two guys, they're not untalented people. I mean, they're, I've seen Scorsese. I mean, I don't, I mean, I've seen that one, but most of the time, I mean, we all love Taxi Driver. We all love, you know, Casino and uh, Mm -hmm. all the stuff. Uh, DiCaprio, I'm not quite as, you know, enamored with because I'm not an eight eighth grade girl but <laughs> totally but, but he's also done some pretty awesome films oh um, he's an extraordinary actor right. there's no doubt about it and it's like the only reason i feel like i give myself permission is because it just became personal right and so it's like that line between okay well what is art you know there was there were debates happening all over facebook between art and and reality and i think it's like the woody allen you know and after shortly after my letter came out it was woody allen's stepdaughter um you know wrote her letter and and so i think it's a perfectly legitimate debate to have right. you know um but i think because it was personal to me you know i took uh the opportunity to stand up for the victims of of fraud um and use this as a platform to say hey like i see some injustice in the world and i'm going to i'm going to call it out cuz i believe that to be true, no matter how kind of self-righteous it might sound. Um, well, but, but you, you know, you, yeah. uh, first of all, th- I, this country economically uh, has has started to get back on its feet. But the way the, the world was gutted, I mean, when they had the uh, what they called the rocket docket down in Florida mm-hmm. when all these you know, people were defa- defaulting on homeownership and 700,000 jobs a month going goodbye and. You know, we've never really gotten everybody sort of whole from where they were back then. There's still a lot of people who, yes, they may be employed, but they're either underemployed or they're doing the same thing and they're making less money with less benefits or whatever. I don't think that that we properly calculated because it didn't really strike everybody in every single town. It, it was it was uh, heavier in other places than some others and. And whatnot, but that that was not a small thing that was done, and the only reason it was done was because, as you mentioned, for greed. And we just we just had you would think after that all that happened, we just had the Wells Fargo thing that became you know uh, in you know prevalent in the national news, and it's like th- this wasn't. Uh, a policy that was poorly thought out and, you know, oops, we made a mistake. This was a concerted effort to defraud people knowingly, oh, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and uh, you know, to, to sort of not give the other side of that thing or, or, or at least tell a cautionary tale of how someone lost all their friends and their associates and that, that you know, they're in some way Totally, uh, but I mm-hmm. responsible or they feel feel a little bad, uh, yeah. and it doesn't seem like any of those people actually do. No, and I think what's interesting about that too, and I actually it occurred to this occurred to me specifically after reading uh, one of the Bernie Madoff books. I thought this this i this this idea of accountability. It's like no one really wants to be accountable, and people feel when they feel duped and they feel shamed and you know, about their, whatever their mortgage or whatever. It's like, people don't really want to talk about it. I think, I feel like people feel a lot of shame when they get duped by a deal. And also, and then of course people who are giving, you know, the bad deals probably also feel a lot of shame. So there's this like lack of accountability happening, but I feel like in the housing market specifically, or people who are taking out these massive loans who clearly could not afford it. Like I have this girlfriend of mine who was in $500,000 worth of debt 
because she was able to just take out all these loans. And I was like, well, Shelton, like, weren't people asking you at the bank, like how much your income was? She was like, no, honey, like, no, no one was asking me. She's like, I was living the high life. I mean, she's like one of my dear friends. I adore her. And like, and yet like, so like there needs to be some accountability on the citizens part in, in, in kind of playing along with this and maybe kind of there probably was a question they were asking like well hmm, I don't know if I can afford this house or maybe but hell like they're gonna give it to me so hell yeah let's do it you know without really having their affairs in order or whatever I'm right. not saying this is was for everybody you know I don't want to offend the people who really were screwed but like there's some there's got to be some accountability on both ends as well well that was um, part was of so the, easy. that was part of the whole shell game was that right you know, they were making it easier and easier and easier for people to get homes that they really couldn't afford, mm-hmm. knowing the entire time, well, if anything goes south, we get to keep mm-hmm. the house. Right. So, you know, um, right. that's uh, neither here nor there. And it's also a right. thing, like you mentioned, that it's hard to get, you know, a group of people, hi, we all got, the, you know, Swindlers Anonymous or, you know, it's like we <laughs> all got screwed. We are all now destitute. You know, we you're at the most vulnerable point of your life. The last thing in your mind is anything but, you know, to keep from drowning. And right. so you're not likely to start, you know, support group right at that time. And uh, in the meantime, the banks have just all gone back to pretty much the same old thing. Um, what, what are things like for you now? I mean, do you still have legal issues from all of this? Do, do things pop up where it's like, oh, I, I thought that was all over and done with. No, actually, um, I'm all cleared of that debt. Um, after seven years, um, you're able to, you know, request that the debt be removed and a lot of it kind of, we defaulted on some of it. I was able to pay off. Um, but most, you know, it, after seven years, you can, it, it removes itself. Now my credit plummeted my credit score and it took me a few years to, I have great credit now, knock on wood. Um, uh, my credit's fine. You know, I'm in a little bit of debt. That's my own credit. You know, that's my own debt. Um, but, um, but things are okay. And, and I'm writing, you know, I'm, I'm a freelance writer and I have my amazing apartment and I live in, um, uh, California, Southern California and, um, Hancock park and Larchmont village area. And, you know, I'm, things are great today. Um, my Excellent. crazy family turned me into a writer who knew. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a really good writer. The, the, the letter. And then the, I did actually read your, your recent, uh, article, article. on the, the political situation. And, uh, yeah. there, there, it's all very, very engaging, um, uh, very personal uh, stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah. what's your father's status at the moment? So, other than that, that um, letter he wrote in response to mine, I I am completely estranged from him. I haven't spoken to him in close to ten years. I think at at this point, um, I have no idea where he is, what he's doing. You you know, last we heard, he was traveling overseas to Albania. Uh, we know it probably goes on there. Trust, trusting, um, trusting people, those Albanians. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know. Well, I uh, suppose someday maybe I'll get word of what he's up to or where he is. But, um, last I heard he was you know, continuing to do business over there. And he was remarried to a woman, you know, probably closer to my age than his age. And, uh, you know, I really don't want any part of it. Um, it's interesting think, because being mm-hmm. sort of, uh, and if he's not a sociopath, tell me, but get people like that, is it is it one of those deals where they now are so used to being found out by folks and they realize that once people have seen the true light of day, there's really no getting them back. Uh, mm-hmm. or, or is there maybe a part of him that's like, oh, I can still convince her that this was all just a big hoax, you know? Yeah, no, I don't there. I mean, sh- I think I bet he wishes because I think people like my father really do believe what they tell themselves. I think that, you know, people who, 
you know, from my own experience, like him, like he thinks he's the victim. Do you know what I mean? Like he's right. mad at me. Like right. I'm the bad guy. My mom's the bad guy. My sisters are, we're the bad guys. And he's the victim who was victimized by the government and tried to take it to the Supreme Court and they shut it down. You know, this is all stuff you can Google. But um, yeah, guys like it. It's like they're, they, it's, you know, it's like Donald Trump that he's like, oh, you know, everyone's, be, the media's are hypocrites. They don't like him. He's the victim. You know, it's, it's, um, there's a real lack of accountability. They have no uh, capability of. Uh, they have no self-awareness, no humility. There's no um, sense. There's no, no sense of shame. There's no. Yeah. You feel like they, they can never be shamed. It's like the the stuff Mm-mm. with Billy Bush comes out, and it's just Mm-mm. not even a speed bump. Uh, it's it's just ab- absolutely no shame. I'm I'm definitely gonna release my taxes, and then we find out just yesterday or the day before. Nope, not yeah. releasing them. Uh, yeah. I know I pledged to in front of everybody, but uh, no, just not going to do it now because because everybody said I don't have to. Um, right. Yeah. Oh, it's so sick. It's because he pays less taxes than you and me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the fear. I I oh, um, yeah. I uh, you mentioned that you're you're writing now. You're doing some other things. What's what's the one thing that you would like people to take away from your book? accountability and humility and forgiveness. I think these are all things, these are all lessons that I learned from going through what I went through. So despite being a victim of my father, I don't view myself as a victim today. Um, I certainly feel like I'm a survivor. I certainly, you know, try my best to not, uh, fall into any state of self-pity despite you know the pain that comes and goes with losing a father um but I think really this is a story about um accountability and forgiveness um and we can forgive you know I forgive my dad I, I you know I have good days and I have bad days it's not I don't think you wake up one day and all of a sudden you know all is forgiven it's like a daily thing um and uh to just be the best person that I can be, um, and live with integrity and humility and, um, be an example, you know, um, and tell the truth, (laughs) live an honest life. Is there, Um, is there any chance we can get you into either a debate or (laughs) a a mixed martial arts fight against Tommy Lahren? Uh, I would, Sure. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, how can what? What's the best way for people to get your book, and what's the best people to follow your writing and what you're up to now? Yeah. Um, so you can go to uh, Amazon.com. You can find my book there. Barnes and Noble. Um, you can go to my website, ChristinaMcDowell.com. It is a work in progress. You can find the book there. Um, Simon and Schuster's website. Um, I think some local bookstores do have it. Depends on the local bookstores. Because um, I always am a big fan of supporting your local bookstore. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can find me on, t- I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. Um, and uh, my website again is christinamcdowell.com. And that's McDowell without the A in the Mac. Yeah, um, MCD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, hey, I really appreciate your time. I'm so glad that uh, you wrote the book. And thanks mm. uh, for making the time for us. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. You're listening to The Tom Gully Show. Shazam! Just send an email to tom at thetomgullyshow.com.
We'd like to thank Christina McDowell for appearing on the show tonight. Her book, After Perfect, is available on Amazon, or you can visit ChristinaMcDowell.com or check out the Tom Gully. Oh, jeez. God, just got a update from the news station I work for of absolutely no consequence interrupting my real show. Um, where was I? Oh, yes, you can go to ChristinaMcDowell.com or check out the Tom Gully Show for this podcast and click on one of the hyperlinks. You will not be sorry that you did. I guarantee it. I promise you. I promise you over and over again. Folks, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share this particular podcast on your various Facebook pages and Twitter and all your social media. Trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little show here. We'd appreciate it if you'd like the Tom Gully Show. Not me. <laughs> Not me. Who, who would do that? Uh, but the show. See, there's a page for the show that separately, um, if the mood strikes you. And, of course, there's always the TomGullyShow.com. Maybe you've been there. That's where you can find out everything about the show. And, yes, you can quit emailing me. I am working on getting the store back up because I know there's lots of people out there that aren't going to be right unless they have a hat with my logo on it. Uh, but but that's a slow going because it requires me to do artwork. Anyway, uh, follow us on Twitter at Atomic Palooka so I can increase my clout and cred ratings because if I get enough points, we're all going to go to the aces. And uh, uh, this is the part of the show where traditionally I ramble, but I, I don't have anything. I just, I got nothing this time. Normally, uh, well, actually, I, I'm getting uh, the usual amount of uh, internet hatred. Uh, there's a guy I, who apparently, I, I've got two or three people that are like ravenous followers of this show that like track down these cyber trolls. And they're telling me, uh, one of them is someone who lives in my same town, that, that there's someone insisting that I visit their page like 300 times a day or something, as if that's possible, or I have the time or interest. And uh, I guess that's my missive for the this rambling end of the show part, which I get a lot of email about. I'm actually quite surprised about that. Uh, the internet, remember the old days when like, you know, there'd be a, a wacky group like Abraham Lincoln did not exist. And maybe the guy that, you know, worked with you uh, or that cleaned your office or something would talk to you about it. And you'd realize he was just a freak. You thought he was just a nice guy that didn't say. Then you realize this dude's a freak. Well, in the old days, those guys had to have a newsletter and collect people's, you know, uh, addresses and and send it out and you know they couldn't get very now at the internet uh if you if you're into statistics like i am there's 300 million plus people in this country and so even a like half of one percent a tenth of a percent is still like ten thousand people or or twenty thousand people thirty thousand people it's it's easy now for the kooks to kind of collect together and this particular kook has managed to gather a group of about 40 people. So they're not even good kooks. Um, and then they pretend like they've got, you know, thousands upon thousands of, of people following. And you go to their Facebook and Twitter pages and all added up, there's not even 100 people. Uh, the, the message, though, of course, is that there's just a lot of freaks on the Internet. And no matter what you post i could post you know a picture of a rock and say this is a rock and i guarantee you there'd be two or three people that were just, actually that's an agate nodule a rock is technically yeah okay whatever uh so beware there's internet hatred and kooks everywhere where was i uh, I guess that's going to do it for tonight. I'm out of here. I got to go talk to some people. I'll talk to you much later. Each night, Jay Johnson, the late, great Jay Johnson, go to jjohnsonmusic.com. He brings us in with the truth wagon, and each night we take you out with Russell Alexander and the Hitman Blues Band. Uh, Russell is such a good guy. I, I, he is so awesome, and the blues that he plays are, you know, your traditional stuff but with a little flair and a little flavor if you go to 
hitmanbluesband.com. You can follow him. But I think at hitmanbluesband.net, if you sign up for the newsletter, you get a certain number, uh, eight or nine free songs, which will allow you to then go purchase eight or nine, and you're still getting half price is the way I look at it. But uh, you should do that. They're just awesome blues tunes. And he takes us out each night uh, with um, the Catch-22 Blues uh, because that's how we roll around here. And we will see you next time. Well, the bug can't lift a twig For a dog that's nothing big But he don't want to And the dog can't grab a cat A raccoon can do all that But he don't want to And I dream of you at night While you hold your baby tight But he don't want to You can see it in his eyes From the way he tells you lies But he don't want you